precepts, principles, and his presence. I, I requested, <clears throat> I don't do this often, but I requested the worship team to do the last song they did today because I was meditating on parts of that song and especially the line that says, let us become more aware of your presence and what that means to us. And from that, I began to meditate on uh, our walking in his presence, being bathed in his presence, and what that means to us. But also, when we talk about precepts, principles, and statutes, which we will in a moment, how does that relate? Where, where, where does that fit in? And I hope by the time we're done, you will see a balanced approach to God's Holy Spirit and his truth. You'll also understand, well, let me just say it this way, and this, I've got slides for this. We want to reaffirm the value of the precepts and principles that are found in the Scriptures. I don't want you to leave here today thinking that I am casting the precepts and principles of God in a negative light. And I'm going to overwhelm you here in a minute to, to make sure you understand that. We also want to recognize the importance of God's presence in walking out the precepts and statutes of God that we find in the Scriptures. Without the help of God's Holy Spirit, we can't walk them out. Without the help of God's Holy Spirit, the statutes and the principles of God simply frustrate us because we see them, but we can't touch them. But with His presence and with His Holy Spirit, we can. And we want to observe, at least partially, the effect of God's presence on our lives. We could probably stay here all week to cover all the effect, but we're just going to hit some spots here. But talk about the effect of God's presence on our lives. Now, if you want to turn, if you haven't already, to Exodus 33, and in a little while, those of you that like to mark your Bible or whatever, in a little while I'm going to ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 1. That's going to be in a few minutes. But right now, I want to look at uh, Exodus 33. This is Moses dealing with God uh, about moving the children of Israel. Um, and this, I'm not going to read the whole story, but you can go back and read, you know, 33, 1, and so forth. But if you would stand with me, and I'm going to take up with verse 12. And I'm going to read through verse 17. Again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And it says, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people, and he God said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from the from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. You can be seated. 
Interestingly enough, Moses says, show me your glory. And God said, I will make my goodness pass before you. So what is God's glory except his goodness and his compassion? And interestingly enough, that following this account, that God takes Moses and puts him in the cleft of the rock, and he covers him with his hand, and he also turns his back to him. God turns his back to Moses. So here's Moses in the cleft, God's hand covering him. God turns his back to him and passes by, and he still comes down the mountain white-headed. Now, that's what happened to me. Yeah, right. The glory of God, the presence of God was so strong, even with that guarded position of Moses. And he has this conversation with God that we'll go over as we go through this. But basically, he's saying to him, we need your presence. We got all the other stuff. We need your presence. So we'll start with this, precepts, principles, and statutes, because I want us to clearly understand, I want you to clearly understand, that I, that I put high value on God's word, on God's statutes. Uh, and I'm just going to give you rapid fire here. If you're a note taker, you're going to love me. Just write down the verses. Uh, if you're not, you're going to hate me, but that's okay. I taught on forgiveness a few weeks ago. I can give you the CD. Uh, Psalm 119. By the way, Sean sang my sermon today. Uh, I did request Holy Spirit, but I didn't request uh, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And I didn't request, as we, and we'll cover the verse later on, Psalm 100. But he, he, he saw my notes, I'm sure. Psalm 119 says, You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Next verse says, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Now, precepts, statutes, those are just God's declarations that we would call God's word. There's, there's various words that all really mean the same thing. Again, in verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. And then the next verse, I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. These are just declarations by David about God's statutes and precepts and principles and the value. And then he goes on, if you go rewind back to Psalm 19. He says, the precepts of the Lord are right, and they're rejoicing the heart. We used to, I referenced this last week, back in the day we, when we sang from the King James hymnal, we sang this psalm a lot. And the next verse or further down says, they are more to be desired than fine gold. They're sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. These are talking about the precepts and the statutes of God to us. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. And in keeping them, there's great reward. So let's establish a foundation that says to us that God's statutes, God's principles, God's precepts, God's word has high value in our life. They are sweeter than a honeycomb. And they cause our heart to rejoice and they warn us. So God's word contains his ways. It contains his warnings. And it also opens up our eyes. 
So that, I, I overdid that because I don't want you to leave here thinking, well, he just, he, he, he had a negative approach to God's word. Anybody that knows me knows that's not true. The problem comes, in my opinion, is when we embrace precepts and statutes alone. There is a danger in Christendom, and the truth is there are corners of Christendom that do this, that, that, uh, just take the precepts and the statutes of God and the principles of God and, and, and embrace those alone and there could be, it, it can develop a problem. Now, I told you earlier I was going to ask you to turn to Isaiah 1. And if you, if you want to do that or haven't done that, then you can do that now. And I'll do the same. I wanted you to see this with uh, your dilated pupils or whatever they are. By the way, you know, 6.15 was a lot different this morning than it was yesterday morning. I'm just glad you're here. Um, Isaiah 1, uh, 11, and it says, God says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls. Or of lambs or of goats. Now, let me just stop right there. Who told them to, to, to uh, sacrifice? Who told them to offer burnt offerings of rams? Who told them to offer the fat of well-fed beasts? Who told them to offer the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats? God did. He was following, They were following his instruction. We'll continue. And when you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Trampling of his courts. Bring, here's the key, bring no more, everybody say vain. vain. Say it louder. Vain. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands... I'm going to hide my eyes. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen because your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. And though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, and that's the crimson tide, Jenny, uh, they shall become like wool or purple and gold. I'm sorry, that wasn't in there. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. All the things God instructed them to do, they became vain. Now, how did they become vain if God instructed them to do them? And it's because their heart was not in it. They had become simply rote exercises of, ex of worship, quote-unquote, that didn't mean anything to them. They were just going through the motion, following the rules, and trying to, make, to, to fill a quota to satisfy God. And God doesn't want a quota. He wants us. That's why he says, okay, all of this other stuff, here's what I really want you to do. Come. Everybody say, come. come. That has something to do with associating with someone. Come, let us 
us, that's two parties, reason together. There's an engagement there. There's an involvement there. It's not just rules. It's not just regulations. And we have, we have erred when we have reduced Christianity to don't do this and don't do that and don't go there and don't see them and don't think that. We've reduced Christianity to that. And when we think of Christianity, we think of what, whether they talk or whether they drink. It's not, it's about come, let us reason together. There's, there's an involvement together with God. There's a presence there. God sort of repeats himself in Micah. He says, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? In other words, can, can, you, can you obey enough rules to satisfy God? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And he's told you what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly. Everybody say with with your God, with, W-I-T-H, to walk humbly with your God, which involves his presence. It goes, it doesn't negate the principles and the precepts and the statutes, but it goes further and it allows God to work those things in us, through us, and in our lives. It's interesting that our conference this year in Gatlinburg is entitled Spirit and Truth. Jesus said to the woman at the well, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Let's just say that together, spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. That's because... Truth without the Holy Spirit becomes legalistic and rules bound. If you're just a, a quote Bible thumper, and I mean that in a negative sense, that can have a positive sense. If you're just someone who embraces the rules and the statutes and the principles and the precepts of the Bible and you wag your finger at people who you don't think did, then you have engaged in a, in, in a thinking and a mentality that becomes legalistic. And it's minus something. And, and far too many of us, there are groups of people who do this consistently, but I would wager, well, we're not supposed to wager in church, are we? I would surmise that all Christians from time to time are guilty or in danger of moving into a place of our thinking that we are rules bound. And we, you know, when I hear somebody say, well, show me a verse. Show me a verse in the Bible. Well, that means they're looking for a rule. They're not looking for a heart. What is God's heart? The other way is that the Holy Spirit without the truth makes us out of balance. It, it leads to extra biblical teaching and it can cause us to be led by our senses. Without the foundation of the truth, 
without the foundation of the precepts and the principles, without the foundation of what God says absolutely and without change, then we have the Holy Spirit, but without the checkpoint, without the accountability of God's Word, we can get off into all kind of goofy stuff. I remember hearing Bob Mumford talk about seeing green angels on blue bicycles, you know, just crazy stuff. I mean, he didn't, but he was talking about other people that did. (laughs) Bob was talking one time, and he said he used to get all kinds of stuff in the mail, and he said someone sent him a shower cap in the mail. (laughs) They wanted him to pray over their shower cap and mail it back to them so that they could have the anointing of a God when they get in the shower in the morning. Well, that's not unbiblical necessarily, but it is kind of strange. And y'all have heard me tell the story of being in Vincennes, Indiana, and doing a meeting in a pavilion up there. And this little fella every night would come to the meeting on his bicycle, and he'd engage this one and that one. And finally, he got around to me one night, and he was about that tall. Most people are shorter than me, but he was a lot shorter than me. And he was looking up to me, and he was talking to me. I don't know about all kind of things, planets lining up, and he's seeing this and seeing that, and and he stopped right in the middle of his, looking up, and he said, hold on a minute. And I thought, what in the world? Hold on a minute. I'm getting a little static. <laughs> Seriously, that's exactly what he said to me. I'm getting a little static. And we were looking in his eyes to see how many little buddies he had running around in there. Because if you don't have the truth to rein you back in, the Holy Spirit will minister to you and you'll go off crazy. Y'all get that? Well, maybe you went off crazy. I don't know. But And, and to be led around by our senses. Thank God for the five senses. Thank God for the value and the usefulness of our senses. Please don't be led by your senses. I don't mean that you sense God's presence. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not one of these five. But led by what we feel. Now, Brother Charles had a great word several years ago. When I was thinking about it, we were singing this song. If you can have it and not feel it, you can lose it and not know it. There's a place and a time that we can, we can sense God's presence. We can feel the, the, the warmth and the presence of His Holy Spirit in our lives. And if we never ever have that sense, we got a problem. But neither can we be led by that. And if we don't have the truth to go along with God's Holy Spirit, then we're going to be cuckoo. That's theologically accurate, I think. Worshiping God in spirit and truth makes us complete in our walk with Christ. We need God's Holy Spirit. We need God's presence in our life. And we need His Word. We need them both. And we don't need to say one's greater than the other. Jesus didn't say one's greater than the other. He said the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. We need God's presence. We need God's Holy Spirit. And we need the Word of God working in our soul to, to cause us to walk in His ways. Because, and we need to understand that He is a present God. Let's read that together. A present God. He's, he's not a God who was. He, in some ways, is a God who will be because he always will be. 
but he is a present God. Many of you have quoted Psalm 46, which says, God is our refuge and strength, a very, you read it, help in the time of trouble, a very present help. We don't have to pray and say, oh, God, I remember when you did this, and I remember when you did that, and it's good to remember, but knowing that that God that you remember is present. Oh, God, I wish one day we'd get to a place when we know he's present. He's going to be, when we get to, you know, I told you about Joe's Crab Shack, free crabs tomorrow, and people got mad because every day was to, you know, they went and get their free crabs, and it wasn't tomorrow. Tomorrow never gets here. It's always today. But when tomorrow gets here, it's today. He's a present God. He's a very present help. The Tree of Life version says ever-present help in the time of trouble. We need to remember that he's present. Now you say, well, I knew that. This is kind of elementary. Well, I'll wake you up when your nap's over. But that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> People that didn't. Anyway. I remember this story about a guy sitting on the front row and nodded off. And and the preacher said, uh, everybody that wants to go to hell, and he yelled, stand up. Of course, nobody stood up except the guy who was asleep. (laughs) He looked around. He said, preacher, I don't know what we're voting on, but it looks like me and you the only ones for it. He told him, he said in verse 3, and we didn't read it, but verse 3, he said, I'm going to send an angel to go with you. But Moses wanted to be clearer than that. He said, I want to know who it is. You hadn't told me who it is you're going to send with us. Now, I believe, and there are various opinions about this, and if they want to be wrong, that's fine. But I believe that this was, this was a pre-incarnate, uh, uh, visitation of the Lord Jesus. Several years ago, two or three, four years ago, I forget, I did a whole series on Jesus in the Old Testament. And we talked about all of the, all of the manifestations of what I think is Jesus Christ. Some of them are absolutely, without a doubt, clear. And some of them you just have to accept my word or not. But I believe this is one. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 63, he says, he talks about the angel of his presence saved them. I believe without a doubt that is the Lord Jesus, pre-incarnate. I believe that is the Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, my own personal opinion is in the, in the versions that capitalize words about deity, you'll see New American Standard, uh, New King James, some of the others will capitalize these words, and you'll see that the angel of the Lord is almost always capitalized. And I believe that indicates, to me it indicates that that's the Lord Jesus. Anyway. You can, you can debate me on that if you want to. Uh, you'll lose. But anyway, you can debate me on that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I do believe this is the angel of the Lord, and I believe it's the Lord Jesus, the angel of his presence, that will save them. Now, the word presence, and I'm not going to get into what the Hebrew word is. That word is a word that is translated front. It's translated face or countenance or appearance or presence. Uh, W.E. Vines narrows it down to the face. It, it represents the very face of God. 
beholding the face of God. The, the face of God is all of his glory. The face of God is who he is. You look at the back of someone's head, you don't get the full uh, scope of who they are. But when they turn around and you behold their face, you have all of who they are. You understand. And when we see God's presence, it's not, it's not a precept, it's a person. It's a face. It's a glory that we understand. The importance here is that it makes God's help very personal. This ever-present God who helps us in time of trouble, it makes this God personal to us. He's not just some old man that lives off in the corner of the universe that does have, has nothing to do with us, but he's an active God who's actively involved with us presently. And so we experience his presence. He's not some distant, uninterested God. But he's a God who loves us, cares for us, and is involved with us. So we're talking about not just, everybody say just. Not just written statutes, but a living and engageable God. A living and engageable God. Go to all the other religions around the world. Every one of them. And you'll not find a God who is living and engageable. You'll never find it. Because they're dead. As Jerry Clower used to say, they're graveyard dead. And they cannot speak. And they cannot minister. And they cannot, they cannot go with their constituents Only God the Father, Adonai, can engage with us because he is a present God. And he engages with us by his presence. Now, it is true. It is true that God's presence is everywhere. It is true that God's presence is always and it's everywhere. It's also true that there are times that God allows us to sense that presence. There are times when God ministers to us with his presence, and we know something's going on. There are even times even deeper than that when we have high times of glory and Shekinah glory that we understand something's really going on in that moment. And there are times when God, as I prayed earlier, will peel back the curtains of heaven and allow us a glimpse of what heaven feels like and and looks like by his presence. Now, I, I would suggest this morning that we should not live for those times, but I also would suggest that we should desire those times when God really just makes himself real to us in various ways. Moses said to God, I don't know who you're going to send with us. And we, we do not want to move from this place without your presence. We don't want to go another step without your presence. And then the NIV, which I very rarely quote, says, verse 16, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people 
on the face of the earth. What else, and I referred to this earlier, what else makes us different? What distinguishes God's people from all the other people on the earth? And that is that we have his presence. We have his presence. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to just go by rules. We don't have to just go by regulations. We don't have to just worry about obeying some statutes because we have his presence to help us do that. We have his presence to to bear us along our path. Nothing else, which brings us to the effect of God's presence. Again, we could spend a long time right here, but I just want to go through a couple, three things here. First of all, uh, we see that the effect of God's presence is rest. He said, my presence will go with you and you will have rest. Now, why is there rest with God's presence? And that's because if we truly are walking in God's presence, we have cast all our care on him and he's helping us and we don't have to carry it. We don't have to carry the burden. We don't have to carry the worry. He said, I'm going to give you rest. And he to rest in this sense means to be soothed or quieted. It means to be secure or settled. If you understand that you have a God who is ever present in your life and in your time of trouble, and the fact is, even when you're not in a time of trouble, but guess when we need him the most? If you understand that you have a God who is present with you by his Holy Spirit, you can be secure. You can be settled. You can be soothed. You can be quieted in your spirit. There's no reason for you to be all excited and, and nervous in the wringing of your hands. So for three weeks in a row, I'm going to reference Hannah who prayed for Samuel and she was sad and she wouldn't eat and she prayed for Samuel. She got an answer to her prayer and she got up and the Bible says she was no longer sad and she began to eat. Why? Because it was out of her hands. She presented her case to God and now it was in his hands. She rested. God's presence and God's present with us, God being present with us, causes us to rest in him. It also empowers and directs our lives. And Moses alludes to this in verse 15 when he says, we're not going to move until you go with us. In other words, we need the direction of your presence. And if we don't have the direction and the empowerment of your presence, we're not moving until we get it. We're not going anywhere until we sense and see your presence, until we receive the power that will cause us to go. Jesus said to the disciples, just before he ascended, he said, now after, which meant it hadn't happened yet, after, I'm, I'm quick that way, y'all know that? Hey, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power. And you'll be my witnesses and you know the rest of the verse. If you don't, you can read it, Acts 1.8. After my Holy Spirit, after I have enveloped you in my presence. You'll be empowered. You'll receive a power. And the word there is simply ability. It doesn't have to be a strange thing. It's just the ability to do something that we normally couldn't do. Power comes from his presence. It comes from walking with God as a person and not as an idol. Deuteronomy 4 says, he brought you out of Egypt with his presence with his mighty power. 
He brought you out with his presence. And I'm going to tell you that if you get delivered out of your situation, and sometimes God wants you to go through it, not around it, but if you get delivered, whether you go through it or around it, out of your situation, it will be because of his presence that goes with you, not because you've obeyed the right rule. Another part of God's presence, brace yourselves, is conviction. God's presence, or you know, another word for conviction is convincing. When we're wayward, God convinces us of our waywardness. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. They have partaken of the fruit. The Bible says the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Why did they hide themselves? Because they were convicted. They were convinced. They were ashamed. They realized that they had erred. They had, they had disobeyed what God told them. And now they were suffering the consequences. But they were hiding from his presence because his presence would magnify their shame. Not that God was going to wag the finger but his very presence. You probably heard me say that when Jesus appeared on the earth, the very fact that he was the light of the world caused darkness to rise up. I mean, where in the world did you get Herod worrying about a two-year-old boy or less? Other than there's darkness in the world and he's the light of the world and the very fact that he was here before he said a word or, or performed a miracle or anything, he was already causing darkness to rise up and get nervous. And it's the presence of God in our lives causes us to be convicted. Jonah, the Bible says Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Why was he going to Tarshish instead of Nineveh? Because God told him to go to Nineveh and he was going to Tarshish and he was fleeing from God's presence because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. We can relate to Jonah, by the way. We're not teaching on Jonah today, but we can relate to Jonah because he said, I don't want to go preach to those people because they'll probably repent. <laughs> Which they did. So Jonah had a problem. Of course, interestingly enough, wasn't that far into the future that they, they were destroyed because they lost their repentance. The men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. On the, on the boat. They knew he was fleeing, and so they, you know, they tossed him overboard. You know the story. He was swallowed by a minnow. No, that's on Gilligan's Island, I think. <laughs> and then there's this, you know, we, we talk about hell. We, we believe in hell. We believe that hell exists, and we believe hell is where people go who don't know Jesus Christ. I know that's not popular today, and I read an article the other day that if I wanted to be a cool preacher, a modern preacher, I shouldn't be preaching on hell. I blew that. I also shouldn't be preaching on using the word sin. I blew that. But out of his presence is defined as eternal destruction. It's not just the flames or the heat. Second Thessalonians says this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. 
I know we'd like to have a gospel today that includes everybody. I know that there are those who embrace universalism, that every, everyone is going to go to heaven. There's no one going to hell, that love wins and all that stuff. I, I know we want to embrace that, but it just doesn't fit what the book says. It surely doesn't fit that verse. He said, this is, this is, he's inflicting vengeance. And here's what he does with those people who are outside his kingdom. Those people who do not know him. And that's a relational term, not just an informed term. It says in verse nine, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away. Everybody say away. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. What a, what a, I mean, what a torment. Not, I mean, flames are one thing. Heat's another thing. Lake of fire is one thing. But to be eternally separated from the presence of God, that's hell. That's hell. The Bible says when Cain's killed his brother Abel, it says, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, which some of you are probably doing right about now. (laughs) East of Eden. Nod, by the way, means wandering. When some of you are wondering when I'm going to finish this message. But uh, Cain was driven away from God's presence. That was his punishment. Interestingly enough, the covenant God said, anybody touches Cain's got to answer to me. And yet he was driven out from the presence of God. Yeah, I'm almost done. See, that my phone was wandering when I was going to get done. <laughs> Finally, I want to talk about entering into his presence. I tell you what, worship team, come on back. Come on back up. And once they get in place, I'll continue. They sang this earlier. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. If you want to, in your prayer time or in your worship time, if you want to find yourself in a place where you sense God's presence, if you want to come into his gates where he is, you come with thanksgiving. You come with gratitude. If you want to come into the courts of the king, you come with praise. Now here's how we come into God's presence. Oh God, I need a new job. Oh God, I need you to do this. God tells us to bring us, bring our petitions, but he says if you want to get into his presence before you give your petitions, come with thanksgiving and praise, honoring him. Psalm 95 says it even clearer. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Come into his presence. Everybody say presence with thanksgiving. I pray that we see today the value 
of God's Word. And you know no one puts a higher premium on God's Word than I do. But I also know that we need His presence for God's Word to be effective in our lives. We need His presence to empower us and to open our eyes so we can see what He was after. We need His presence so that we can grasp God's heart instead of trying to grasp God's rules. Yes, there are things in the Bible God tells us to do and to not to do, but it's important that we understand His heart, not just see a rule. Come into His presence with thanksgiving. Now, they're going to sing this song again, and I want us to take a moment, take a few moments, and I want us to come into His presence with thanksgiving. Whatever you would want to thank God for during this time. And don't tell me you don't have anything to be grateful for. Because you do. God woke you up today for one thing. And he's got you here. He's got your feet on the ground. Or he will have when you get up. And when he puts your feet on the ground, then your path is illuminated by his word. And you're given a mission. You're given a purpose. You may not be on TV or preaching to thousands in a stadium. But you have a purpose in the earth or you wouldn't be here you'd be with him be grateful take a moment and just thank God for whatever it is you're thankful for just let's take a moment and come into his presence let's let us become more aware of his presence in our lives let us become more aware of his involvement in our lives let us become more aware that we worship and walk with the God who is ever-present in our lives every day, not just on Sunday morning for an hour and a half, but every day worship Him. And get the book, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. It'll help you. It'll help you. Let's stand if you can and sing with the worship team. If you need to come to the altar or you need prayer, then you do so. Let's come before His presence with thanksgiving. Spirit, you are well. 